Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Are you content? Do you have a deep soul satisfaction? I think I can say without fear of contradiction that... Every one of us in here struggles with this concept of contentment. I think we are plagued with a billion-dollar business that is desiring, is aimed at showing us we're not content. That we don't have what we need to really be satisfied. Either we're not satisfied with our possessions, or we're not satisfied with our position, or we're not satisfied with our circumstances, or some combination of all three of these. We lack that true soul satisfaction, that contentment with what we have, and we therefore live in a continual state of discontentment. Well, I want you to know that it's not God's will for you to live in that continual state of discontentment and dissatisfaction. Discontentment is one of the most grievous of sins. You say, well, why? Because it is the root of so many other sins. What was Satan's sin that cast him out of heaven? Remember? Over in Isaiah chapter 14, we have what I believe is a passage that speaks to Satan's condition in heaven before he sinned. And look at what it says and see if you can see the heart, the root of his sin. But you said in your heart, speaking of Lucifer, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What was Satan's root sin? Discontentment. He wasn't satisfied. God created him the highest of created beings. He was the highest angel in heaven. Glorious. Beautiful. But rather than being satisfied and content with that, he wanted more. He wanted to be like God. And he rebelled against God. And we have the difficulties we face today in a large part because of Satan's continual rebellion against God and his adversarial relationship with us as the people of God. So you see, discontentment is a heinous sin. But let's look at the first sin that entered the human race. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What was at the root of Eve's sin? God said, From all the trees of the garden you shall eat, except one. All the rest you can have. It's just one that I don't want you to eat out of. Now, you would have thought 
they should be, have been content. I mean, you got it all except one. Plenty to eat. Great to eat. But no, Satan comes to Eve and he tempts her in this area of discontentment. Is there any tree of the garden that God has said you can't eat from? Notice, he doesn't say, hey, look at all you can eat from. Or, how many trees has God said you can eat from? No, that would have moved her toward contentment. But rather, he said, is there any tree you cannot eat from? Point to that one thing that's held back. Tempt her with thinking, but if I can have that one thing that I cannot have, I'm not supposed to have, I'll be satisfied. I'll be content. Oh, but if you will partake of that, if you'll eat of that forbidden fruit, then you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Be like God. The Scripture says that Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eye and the pride of life, and she took it. Discontentment was the root of her sin. And I ask you, how many sins do we commit that at the root of those sins is this attitude of not being satisfied, always wanting more, being discontent? Well, God's will is for us to be content. And in our passage today, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And now you will see why God gives such a warning against discontentment, dissatisfaction, always wanting more, greed, the love of money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we will begin reading in verse 6 and go through verse 10. In respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the obeying of His Word. Notice it says... For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, why do we love money? One of two reasons. We either love it for the things we can purchase with it, for the things we can do with it, for the status or position that it gives us, or we love it because of the security we think it gives us. But that love for money is that love that desire to have more in order to be satisfied, in order to be content. Today we're going to begin, and it will take us a couple of weeks, we're going to begin to talk about the steps to contentment. We've seen how grievous the sin of discontentment is. We've seen that God doesn't want us to live in an attitude of continual discontentment, dissatisfaction in life. Well, how do we as Christians move toward a state of perpetual contentment, of perpetual satisfaction. 
We're going to look at four steps today, and then next week we will conclude. Step number one, focus your life on God, not on things. Focus your life on God, not on things. Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 5. Make sure that your character is free, there it comes again, from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. This scripture says that we are to be free from the love of money, from the love of possessions, from the love of the position and prestige that money can bring, from the love of trying to improve and make our circumstances perfect through what we can buy. But we are to be satisfied with what we have. Be content with what you have. Why? Why should we be content with what we have? For, he tells us, because, for, Jesus has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, does that seem strange to you that, that the writer of Hebrews would say, now, be content with what you have, don't love money, because Jesus is with you. If it seems strange to you, it's because you don't understand the true source of contentment. And that's our relationship with God. That's why he says, look, don't let your character be involved with the love of money. But be content with what you have because you have Jesus. And He is the true source of contentment and soul satisfaction. And He will never, ever leave you or let you down. You can count on Jesus to always be with you. That's what he's saying. He's saying focus your life on God, not on things. Our contentment must be found in our relationship with God. Things can never bring true, lasting contentment. Now, things can bring temporary contentment. I mean, all of us have known the temporary satisfaction of a new car, of a new house, of new clothes. But it's only temporary, isn't it? It's soon fleeting. And so we're told to not look for things in order to find a soul satisfaction, but look to God. You see, God has created within every human being that yearning for fellowship with God. The French philosopher Pascal called it the God-shaped vacuum that's in the heart of every man that can only be satisfied with Jesus Christ. Now, we all have that yearning for soul satisfaction. We all have that yearning for contentment. But the problem is we're looking at the wrong place to find that contentment. And because we're looking to things and we're looking for the perfect circumstances and we're looking for other things to bring us that soul contentment, we're never contented. We're never satisfied. That's why you're living in a state of continual discontentment is because you're not looking for contentment in the right place. And you will always live in that state of continual dissatisfaction until you find your soul satisfaction, your soul contentment in your relationship with God. And Jesus promised us that He would always be with us. And therefore, we must focus our life on our relationship with Him. Only there will we find contentment and soul satisfaction. 
when I sense a discontentment in my spirit, then what I need to do is immediately examine my life and where I have placed my focus. And what I will find is that my focus has moved off of Jesus and I've either put it on my circumstances or I've put it on my possessions or on something else, but I've taken it off Jesus. And that's why I am sensing this discontentment within my spirit. And so let me suggest to you, if you are sensing a discontentment and dissatisfaction in your soul, you need to ask yourself, where is the focus of my life? Where am I really looking in my life? And then make sure that you're focusing on God and your relationship with Him. Second, we must make our relationships with others a top priority. Now, we saw last week the two greatest commandments. first one was love God. The second one was in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. Jesus said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A source of contentment is loving God and loving others. If these are the two greatest commandments, and they are, then this tells me that God who made us knows that if we're going to experience true contentment and satisfaction, we need to be obeying these two greatest commandments. And I mean love others by serving others. Over in Romans 13, Paul talks about the importance of loving others and how this very act, this simple act of loving others enables us to fulfill the law of God. You don't have to walk around with a list of the commandments of God to make sure you're following each one of them, Paul says. If you will simply remember this one, love others. Serve others through loving them as Christ loves us, and you'll fulfill the commandments. Look what he says in chapter 13 of Romans, beginning in verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it's summed up in this saying. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. As we love others, as we serve others, we will find a sense of satisfaction. You see, discontentment comes when we just want to want to receive and we want we want to get and we want to go after. We want more. Because you'll never be satisfied at what people are doing for you. They're never caring enough for you. They're never loving you enough. They're never showing you enough love. We always want more. We always want something else. But if you will concentrate on what you can give in a relationship, not what you can take, there's a measure of satisfaction in that. Jesus said, I came not to be served but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Jesus is our example of soul contentment that will come from serving others, not waiting to be served. Third step, we must renew our mind on God's truth. Look in Psalm 63. Verse 5, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. 
When I remember you on my bed and I meditate on you in the night watches. Look what he says. My soul is satisfied, and that's what we want in it, soul satisfaction, as with marrow and fatness. Now, what does that phrase mean, marrow and fatness? Well, fatness in the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, carries the idea of prosperity, of satisfaction. You know, in some cultures today, fat people are looked up to. Because if you've got enough to be fat, you're a good person, you're prosperous. You are in a position of, of status. Because most people don't have enough to eat. And they're skinny. But if you've got enough to eat to be fat, then you're considered to be well off. Well, this is kind of in a measure of the concept, the concept that we're talking about here in the Old Testament. That when the Bible talks about fatness and marrow, it's talking about a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment that one would get when one was very, very hungry and one sits down to a great meal and finishes that meal. Now, we've all had that experience. You know, you're just starving and, and you sit down to this great meal and you just eat and eat and eat. And when you push yourself back from the table, man, there is just a satisfaction. There's just a contentment there. You know? You've had it, haven't you? All right? Yeah, we all have. I mean, you know, that, 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 that's why we keep eating. We like that feeling. See? And when you get hungry, you go eat again because you're going to like that feeling of being... Now, the Scripture says, take that feeling. He says, just like I am satisfied and have a sense of contentment when I have filled myself with fatness and marrow. I've eaten good food and, and I'm, I'm satisfied. I feel good. He said, you know, my spirit experiences that kind of satisfaction when I meditate on God. You see, that temporary satisfaction we experience with food, we need to realize that it's God's intention for us to experience that kind of soul satisfaction on a continual basis. And it comes by meditating on Him. He says, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips when... When does it take place? When I remember you, when I remember you, he says, on my bed, and meditate on you in the night watches. David says, when I think about God, when I meditate on God, that's when my soul experiences satisfaction and contentment. And so you have got to renew your mind on God's truth because we are constantly being bombarded by commercials, by advertisement telling us that we are not content, we are not satisfied, then we've got to continue to let our minds be renewed in the truth of God that we can find satisfaction in Him. If you look at an hour television program, 15 minutes of that program is commercials. I have this thing, uh, kind of like replay TV, that I can fast forward. And I hate commercials, so I always fast forward commercials. But you know how long it takes to look at a show when you fast forward commercials? Forty-five minutes. Because fifteen minutes of commercials. Telling us we gotta have it. We need it. We'd be happier if we had it. And if you look at TV, and I'm thinking most of us in here do, if you listen to the radio, and I think probably many of us do, you get advertisements, you get commercials. And so we have got to meditate on God's Word to take the place of all this that's been flooded into our minds just on a daily basis when even we're not even aware of it. It's just coming in and coming in and coming in. Now, if you listen to talk radio, 
Notice how many commercials there are. How many times have you been taking the clicker, guys, and clicking through the TV, and every channel you turn to, it's a commercial. And you have to go through about 15 channels to find something that's not a commercial. Now, what does that tell you? We've got to renew our mind on God's Word. We must accept God's truth deep in our hearts, not just in our mind. And that comes from meditation. Now, our verse of the month. Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that our life does really not consist of our possessions? The way you can move that truth from your mind to your heart is through meditation. Meditating on God's Word. As you bring it up and you think about it, Over and over again, throughout the day, it's amazing how that moves it from your mind to your heart till you really grasp it and believe it. One verse that has helped me more than any other verse in the area of contentment is over in Psalm 84. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 84, verse 11. If you will meditate on this verse... If you will take this verse and memorize it and meditate on it and let it get into your heart, into your spirit, it will move you towards soul satisfaction in a great way. Psalm 84.11 For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk... Uprightly. Now, as you meditate on this psalm, you just start going over it. One thing you do is you say the psalm emphasizing a different word each time. And it's amazing how when you do that, it changes the meaning. For the Lord, God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. For the Lord, God, is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. See how you just go through and emphasize each word, a different word each time. It's amazing how that kind of gives you a little different understanding of what it means. The Lord God is a sun. And as you meditate on this verse, what you realize is the Lord is the word Yahweh there for Lord. It's His covenant name. He is the unchanging God. He is a God who has pledged His covenant love, His tested to me, Yahweh. The word God there, the Lord God, is the word Elohim for God. It speaks of God's strength, that He is the only God, the God who makes covenant. The Lord God is a son. And you think about, what does that mean, the Lord God is a son? What does that matter for me? Well, think about the son. What does the son do? Well, first, it's constant, right? It's always shining. And what does it do? It brings life. There would be no life on this planet without the sun, right? Also, the sun purifies. The sun actually has purifying effects. The sun has health benefits. You know, you need to make that vitamin D, being out in the sun. So when you think about that, that means God continually provides for me. Just as the sun continues to provide for the planet and causes things to grow. He's my caretaker. I need not worry about my daily needs because God is a sun. He's my daily provision. 
He's just as constantly caring for me as the sun is shining. He's a shield. What does that term mean? How can God be a shield? Well, shields used to protect. It's a protection. So what's it saying to me is that God is my protection. He is my shield. That means nothing can come into my life that God doesn't permit to come in. And He will not permit anything to come into my life that will destroy me. That will destroy me spiritually. That will be for my evil. Because He protects me from all evil. That which would harm me and would not work to conform me to the image of Christ, He doesn't allow in my life. He's my shield. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace. Grace has to do with our circumstances. You know, we've talked about grace. His enabling power. He gives that enabling power to enable me to live in any situation in a way that will bring glory to Him. He gives grace and glory. Grace has to do with circumstances. Glory has to do with position. Remember what we saw? It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time He will exalt you. God's the one who gives glory. He's the one who gives us any recognition or position that we might have. It all comes from Him. And then look what it says. No good thing. That word good means beneficial. That which will work to conform me to the image of Christ. No good thing, whether it be possessions, whether it be position, whether it be circumstances, no good thing, anything that would benefit me, that would be for my good, that would conform me to the image of Christ, no good thing will He withhold. You see the word withhold? It means to hold back. Now, is anything beyond God's ability to give you? Is anything beyond God's power to give you? If He wanted to give you this world, could He not do so? If He wanted to give you this universe, could He not do so? We acknowledge that, don't we? No good thing will He hold back from those who walk uprightly, from those who walk in integrity, to those whose way is wholeheartedly committed to Him. Another way of saying it is those who seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Did Jesus not say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you? Things that we need? So meditate on that verse. No good thing would He withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. So we need to spend time renewing our minds on the Word of God. And then that brings us to step number four. Believe God in His wisdom will give you all that's truly good for you. One thing to meditate on it, renew your mind in it, but you need to come to the place that you really believe it. That God in His wisdom will give you all that's truly good for you to have. Look at Psalm 34, verse 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Shall not lack any good thing. Now compare that to what Jesus said over in Matthew 7. He talks about prayer. He says in verse 9, Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? 
Jesus said, look at the analogy. He said, even we evil men know how to give good gifts to our kids. And if your kid's hungry, you don't give him a stone, you give him something to eat. Now, if we humans, who are basically sinful, know how to give a good gift to our kids, how much more will the righteous Father in heaven give what's good, what's beneficial, to those who ask? This means that God, your Heavenly Father, will give you everything that's good for you to have. He will hold back no good thing, no beneficial thing from your life. That means if you don't have that house, it's because it's not good for you to have it. You know, that home you've been looking for, you've been wanting to buy, you've been wanting to sell and go, it's because it's not good for you to have it. If you don't have that car that you've been wanting and longing for and thinking, if I could just get that, it's because it's not good for you to have it. Or if he would just ask me out for a date, I would, oh, it's not good for you to date that guy. If it was, God would provide. No good thing. Anything you are longing for, anything you think will bring you satisfaction and contentment, if you don't have it, it's because it's not good for you to have it right now. Well, God would see to it that you did. Now, what's that thing that you just you're just thinking? Well, if I I, I can just get this, if I can just have this. You know, we don't know what's good any more than our kids know what's good for them. You don't give them everything they ask you to give them because you know it's not good for them to have it all. And we. Plead with God. We beg with God. Oh, God, give me this promotion. I want this promotion at work. I really deserve it. I need it. And we get passed over. And we get bitter. We get upset. We get angry with God. Can't we just realize it wasn't good for us to have it? If it had been good, God would have given it to you. Why? Because He will withhold no good thing from those who walk upright. And He knows. He knows what's good for you. He has the power to give you what's good for you. And He's promised that He will. So what your conclusion is, if you don't have it, it's because it's not good for you to have it right now. Maybe later, but not now. And so soul satisfaction, soul contentment will come when you truly believe that your God will withhold no good thing from you as you walk uprightly before Him. No good thing. And you can be satisfied that what you have is God's best. For you all we want our circumstances to be different. Oh, if I just married somebody else. Oh, if I just did this. If I just did that. If I just worked here. If I just worked there. If I just lived here. If I just lived. We always want things. To be... If it was good for you to have it, God would give it to you. Okay? Alright, hear this. God's best is what He has in store for you. Because of His love. We need to come to the place that we can even see bad circumstances as God's good for His children. We think we can be content if we get out of the difficult circumstance, but we need to realize that many times that difficulty is good for you because it's conforming you to the image of Christ. It's in the hard times that we grow the most spiritually. You know that. So all the circumstances, good or bad, they're really good. In God's eyes, because He's using them to conform you to the image of Christ. Many of you remember George Mueller, who was the man that lived in Bristol, England, back in the 1870s. And he had an orphanage that, through simply believing prayer, he would ask God to touch people's hearts and people would give. He wouldn't even send out a yearly financial statement because he said that wasn't trusting God to touch people's hearts. And God provided over and over again. 
1870, his wife died of his wife of 39 years. She died of rheumatic fever. And God gave him the grace to be able to preach her funeral service. And at that service, he said this, I miss her in numberless ways, and shall miss her yet more and more. But as a child of God, and as a servant of the Lord Jesus, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to His holy will to glorify Him. I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. Now that's contentment. In whatever circumstance we find ourselves, because we know our Heavenly Father will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly before Him. Will you have soul contentment? Will you have soul satisfaction? You can only find it in God.